0: On this episode of AV Week, the acquisitions continue as AVI SPL is acquired, smart buildings based on feelings, and RF transmissions make it through meat. (laughs) These stories and more on AV Week.
1: The network for the AV industry.
0: What are you listening to? This This is AV. This This. This is Is AV Nation. Nation. This is A V Nation. Ready.
2: A V A V Week. Performing scan. Three. week.
0: Online. This is A V Week. A V This is AV Week, episode 244, Acquisitions and Feeling, recorded April 29th, 2016. And good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another episode of AV Week, your source for news and information in the audio-video integration world. I'm your host today, George Tucker. Welcome, and thank you for watching us. Uh, This week, we have a Virgin crew sent a call out to see if we can get first-timers on the show, and boy, did you guys respond. I had way too many and a long list of people to be on future shows, so thank you very much. We always want your voices on this show, and it's a great thing to have. So, first off, without uh, any delay, we have David Madlow. He is from Let's Do Video.
2: How are you, sir? Good. Thanks for having me. Maldo, by the way. Maldo.
0: Maldo. Well, I am infamous for screwing up names. So there you go. <laughs> it's going to get worse. Here we go. Also joining <laughs> us is Omar Rosado. He is from Digital OAV. How are you, sir?
3: I'm doing just fine. Excited to be here.
0: Okay, glad to have you on. And last but not least, we have Shai Moshi. He is from Communications Pros. How are you, sir?
1: I'm doing very well, thanks. Thanks for having me, George.
0: All right. All right. Well, thank you, gentlemen. All right. Well, let's start this off because Someone suggested that maybe for this time period, between now and, say, Infocom 2016, we should be calling it Acquisition Week, not AV Week, because, of course, our first story is about AVI SPL being acquired by a venture capitalist firm. This, of course, comes to us from a fine folks at Commercial Integrator. Uh, HIG is a venture capitalist firm who owns a lot, a lot of stuff. Um, They, let's see, they own a lot of building... A lot of integration, a lot of distribution, a lot of media. Uh, so I'm going to start off with you, David. Let's let's look at this. Do you think this bodes well for, say, the AV business being something that venture capitalists are interested in, or do you see another motive?
2: I, I have mixed feelings about it. It's, it's not as simple as, for example, the Mitel Polycom deal. I mean, those are two communications, uh, business communications companies. They have the same goals. Is HIG really interested in... Um, integration and and reselling uh, communications equipment or are they interested in in making money so if if they're happy to let AVISPL do its thing because AVISPL knows what they're doing and make money and collect profits then then I'm happy but if they do the venture capital thing where they're like we make a lot of money if you grow you have to grow 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 and push AVISPL to do things that may not be the right move to grow this year uh, then bad things can happen so I'm um, I'm hoping they'll have a, a kind of hands-off approach.
0: Yeah, you know, Shai, David mentions that they're worried about the hands-on or, you know, maybe dictating methodologies. Is there a danger here that they move to, say, don't sell those kind of boxes, sell these things because there's a higher profit ratio and we like that interest in our world?
1: Well, if they do, it wouldn't be different than what we're seeing in the industry as a whole, right? So, so, so the answer to the question is we'll have to wait and see. Unfortunately, I don't have a distinct answer. But is there a risk? There certainly is. I think uh, let's keep in mind that Hill was owned by a large conglomerate prior to this acquisition too. So they're not new to being owned by by private equity. Um, and I can tell you that the former, well soon to be former uh, private equity firm was much more strict about things like that uh, than I think a lot of people because they're very, very technology focused, uh, the former company that owned them uh, was. So, yeah, I think a lot of it will be, uh, you know, in, in hopefully in the hands of AVISPL leadership and management in terms of what direction to head and a little bit of guidance from the board uh, with their new owners, but uh, only time will tell.
0: Yeah, Omar, let's bring you into this conversation. Do you think that, I'm, I'm having trouble with this, do you, do, do you see any other motives as to why one would go from being held from a venture capitalist, becoming, you know, owned by themselves and then going back to a venture capitalist? Why do that?
3: Honestly, that's a that's a good question, and and to be frank, I mean, I agree with the other two gentlemen as far as um, keeping the hands off and let ABI do what they do. But the strategy and the reason why they're they're going through this particular process and the ownership that's that's beyond my expertise to answer properly. Um, but. to... To see what the end game is, it, it's it's hard for me to envision. Why would a financial company or investment company, whatever they are, um, have an interest in AVI other than technology? Um, you know, that's my two cents.
0: Mm. Do any of you fine folks think that uh, perhaps maybe this is something to add as say a service provider to all of their other holdings? Oh. Is that a possibility, or is that limited? Is that too limited?
1: I can tell you from my experience in in working directly with service providers that um, a company like an AVSPL, some of its competitors, they offer those types of integration services uh, as a complement to the service providers. And uh, when you think about the way the industry is going, certainly from a pure growth perspective, AV in services in AV. Uh, it's certainly becoming a lot more popular and, and, and growing, from from what I see. Right, some some spots might have different opinions than people, uh, but from a sheer revenue and, and, and uh, activity perspective, that's growing. And so you look at these service providers; they're looking at it like, okay, this might be a way for us to grow. This might be a, a, a revenue stream for us to help grow uh, by an acquisition of this past kind versus growing it organically. And, and most of us on this call have seen what it's like to grow an AV practice organically. It's not easy, it's not fast, it's not cheap. Uh, And So to be able to do something like that where you can kind of pull the trigger and and purchase uh,
2: would certainly be attractive to a large service provider. Maybe I'm being a little too negative about this. I mean I'd love to think that HIV says, oh you know we have these other holdings and there's some synergy and we could help them all go together. But in my mind I really think it's more that um, spell had a fantastic year last year and they're poised to have a, an even better year this year. And it's these venture capital guys, they like to, to jump on when it's happening like this. And now's the time to jump on. I really think it's, I think it's, and I'm, I hope I'm wrong, but I really think it's about making money quickly.
0: Well, but there's the question then, because, you know, audiovisual and integration has never been a high margin industry. I mean, yeah. we make money, but we're not, our margins are not extraordinary. Not enough for say venture capitalists to be going after it. I mean, I know a number of venture capitalists who back say things like Twitter and Snapchat and all the host of things behind it that avoid hardware of any sort by anyone at any cost. And I find it interesting that uh, an investment capital or venture capital group would be looking at someone who does basically hardware.
1: Uh, well, I think you hit it on the head. I think so. So the interesting part about what you said and what's happening right now with this story is any company willing to invest some dollars into an AVI SPL will be successful because if you look at purely from a global delivery and services support perspective, there aren't very many companies that can provide true global services and true global support. So a company with you know that's managing nineteen billion dollars worth of capital, if they go out there and put a few bucks and now actually put some global support behind it they'll be able to provide something very very few companies in the globe can provide in terms of global support.
0: So it sounds like a bit of a shifting sands for what the business model of many of our industry folks are like huh? All right, well let's talking of shifting sands, let's move on to something that we've been watching for a while Um, not, you know, not something that is a shock but Intel from our friends at NGadget.com talked to us about explaining their strategy for moving beyond the PC. So these guys are talking about, and the CEO of Intel, is talking about the fact that they are not really designing their chips and their progress around a central sort of processing computer. Uh, but it's going to be about the cloud and about IoT in their words. And if, if you link through the story itself, there's an article by the CEO listing out the five things he thinks are the tenets uh, of the growth. Uh, they claim that this is not about... The uh, Moore's law sort of sort of sputtering out, and that they need to find other ways to make that efficiency happen. Uh, but they're really talking about us becoming again a centralized computer with thin clients, rather than the sort of centralized model. Uh, David, I'm going to put this to you. Do you think that they have merit here? That that's really the way it's going, and will we all be, you know, uh, subscribing our services from Intel in the future?
2: Yeah, I think. Uh, The model makes sense. An an analogy, a a very apt analogy, I think. Uh, Logitech makes keyboards that go well with PCs. If people are buying less PCs and Logitech is smart enough to say, hey, what do we do? Where else can we sell our keyboards? So they made a keyboard for an iPad and it was one of their hottest selling products. So Intel makes chips. If people are going to buy less PCs that their chips go into, they're going to look for other places to put those chips. and, And that makes perfect sense. And with the Internet of Things, eventually we could put chips in there. And, and one final thought on that, you said it's not about Moore's Law dying, and, and I read the, the article by the CEO, I agree, it's about Moore's Law continuing um, to the point where chips get so small and so cheap that we just put them in everything. So it's not yeah. just PCs. And, and the example I use, it's a bit of a silly example, but any guitarist knows that uh, these things disappear. <laughs> and eventually, if a chip costs a penny and is the size of a, a head of a pin, and you have one in each of these, you say, Siri, where's my guitar pick? And Siri says, there's one in your pocket. And I think that's where Intel's going. Just put, put the chips in everything.
0: Isn't that like, I think there's a uh, product out there called Tag. I think you can find your phone with it. And exactly. You can find the Tag. Omar, um, this changes our business model, though. We were speaking just previously with the story that, you know, we sell boxes and we sell an automation system. We sell interfaces, and the interfaces become almost disposable. In this case, or almost transitory to the actual project, do you see this changing the actual business model, and how would you handle that transition?
3: Well, to handle the transition, transition obviously we will have to learn more about it and you know train and educate ourselves, but um, definitely um, minimizing hardware. Um, It's becoming a trend. I mean, I remember 10 years ago, and I'm kind of going back to AV, I remember having to install 10 pieces of equipment where now one piece of equipment does everything for you. So it is a trend of minimizing. Now, as far as chips for everything on the cloud, like the gentleman before hit on the head, I mean, you could put a chip on on everything now. Well, not now, but I, I guess that would be the direction. How it changes the, our, our industry, it's, it's, we'll, we'll find out.
0: Well, let me, uh, Shai, Shai, let me ask you. First of all, you're muted, sir. There we go. Sorry. <laughs> right, we can cut that out. All right, so Shai, let me ask you this. Omar and David all touched on the fact that, you know, yes, we can have things from anywhere. These pieces might just be mesh network and easily swappable. Where a lot of our margins in this business do come from is the fact that we do have dedicated manufacturers that provide us with those, right? So if we're part of a dealer network with the big three or four control system companies, that's where our margins are because we're dedicated to that and we can do volume and good margins. Here, our loyalty may not mean much.
1: Yeah, uh, well, so it's an interesting uh, comparison. Uh, certainly, I think, from a, from a sheer volume perspective is where a lot of that will get made up, right? Uh, especially, kind of piggy-tailing back on what was said a little earlier, and that is they'll eventually be everywhere. Uh, I mean, there they're, do any of us remember growing up having a, a chip in our refrigerator? Where our refrigerator <laughs> tells us everything we want and recipes and when our milk is expired and when the chicken's going bad and... I mean, so so the volume is growing, so from that perspective, I think the volume will be there, if, if not already there. Um, in terms of, you know, the benefits of, of being part of that type of a network, I, I think the benefits really are going to come from the ability to put all of these pieces together, regardless of how many chips, how frequent you need them, if it's in a guitar pick, if it's in a refrigerator, if it's in your drone, if it's... Eventually, it'll be in our children. Uh, I don't know. Uh, one day, right? Wherever. Well, hopefully not. <laughs> you're not getting one in my, in my kids, that's for sure. But uh, you know, wherever they go, I think ultimately having those expertise, experts with the expertise to be able to understand the crux and the core and how it all works and how it all puts, comes together, I think that's where the the money and the revenue will will, will be.
0: Uh, but do you see any end to say the loyalty of a single company? Will they really have to come to us? Will it be a buyer's market? Do you think? In any difference?
1: So take a look at. at so let's. I, I equate it to any other product in our space, right? You, let's take video for example. I'm a video conferencing guy, right? Let's take video for example. It used to be just you no, know, just ten years ago. Uh, it was Cisco or Polycom. I mean, or Cambridge at the time. That's really all you had. Nowadays there's probably 105 that I could name, maybe not all 105 at once, right, but at least 15 that I can give you that, that are, are large and they sell a lot and they're out there often. And So it's just a matter of, you know, will, will it be competitive? Absolutely, but what what's not today? Especially, you mentioned a term, George, a while ago, you mentioned uh, Internet, Internet of Things uh, that they're talking about over HP, etc. The Internet of Things whole mantra and whole model has allowed global consumers, global business people to have their choice of the best of the best. Oh, and by the way, I also will be able to read reviews from a hundred other people who used all these products and see what they feel and what they think about it. It's just the way of our world. There's no there's no other way around it. So just like everything else will be able to grow or decrease with this type of model, I think we're talking about the same scenario here.
0: Hmm. Alright, well let's move on to the next story which sort of touches on this idea of having all of that metricing available to us. We all know about smart buildings, but from the BBC, Tomorrow's Buildings Smarter by Design. Now, this is not just an article about the idea that we can do the metrics of doing our load shedding and you know, putting the shades down when it's too bright on one side or you know up on the other to help with energy efficiency or anything like that. But what it really is talking about is the comfort and emotional, how do I say this, emotional influence the building and its operations has on those who use it, right? Uh, It's similar to something, we have a show called The Lightcast and they interviewed a number of gentlemen from something called The Well Building, which it takes into your right to light and circadian rhythms and all of these things of like how do night birds who work the overnight shift differ from people who work the daytime and how you affect those things. So this is a project by an architect and by a lighting designer to say, let's see how these people feel and if it can help change the physical way the building feels to them and making the building part of them. Um, Shah, you mentioned that uh, the, the biohacking, putting the chips and the sensors into somebody. This sort of is one of those bridges that would say, yes, I want that to be there because it will read how I'm feeling and reacting and try to alter it. Do you, do you see that as being part of what we're eventually going to be implementing?
1: I mean, so, so first of all, this article is fascinating. This this whole idea behind what this architect is doing is is absolutely fascinating. So, so to answer your question, I, I, I don't know uh, unfortunately, but but I can tell you that you know the larger issue will be the resistance of the people to put those chips inside of a human body. I think that's ultimately where the issue will come from. But in terms of of kind of correlating those two things together. Um, this will allow us, and I say us as the consumers and, and, and uh, citizens of, uh, of the world, will allow us to make things better on a custom basis.? right? There's going to be situations where uh, a large building, you know if any of you have been into a large city like, a, like a New York, a lobby is going to be a hundred and thousand, you know a thousand different things. But every floor can be different based on, like you said, how the individuals are feeling based on those shifts. Time of day, you know, graveyard, etc. Um, so I think it's absolutely fascinating. But ultimately, I think before we get to the, the putting the chips on the people, I think the, the key card will probably be where it starts, uh, and that key card will somehow tie to you and be able to sort of, you know, give at least some, at least active directory data, if not more, uh, moving forward. Uh, so I think before we get into the, to the actual chip placement, uh, that's probably where we'll go first.
0: Yeah, and there's an interesting article in Commercial Integrator uh, about uh, the people at Wetworks, Bodyworks, who have been doing that kind of stuff for a number of years. But uh, that aside, Omar, they talk about the sentiment cocoon, right? That, that's part of this article in which that's what they're really basing this on. My question to you is we deal enough with our clients. Is this with their sort of, you know, I don't like the lights this way. No, I know you had these presets made for you, but now I feel differently. Is this a boon or a bust for us in saying that we have to then have systems that react to that kind of sentiment cocoon
3: i I mean I don't want to sound negative, but I think it's a bust I mean I mean don't get me wrong i I believe that there may be uh a purpose and maybe a, a somewhere where where it, where it fits well. Like I believe the article did mention like um like for hospitals or lobbies and stuff like that, unless I got articles confused. But I could see where like let's say if you know if you're getting if you just naturally in a in a tough environment where you have to wait, you have to hold your child because you're waiting to get um you know taken care of or looked at and um just naturally the light changes to some way somehow make you feel better, I guess. That would be a good scenario, but but to do it globally, to do it has um has like everyday type of function. I find that I, I, first of all, I find it hard to accomplish, and then also just to to do it effectively.
0: All right. Well, that's a fair point. It's a fair point. And and to David, I'll put this one to you as well because do we have to now put as part of say our CTS or or um. Cedia uh, qualifications, circadian rhythms, and the well-building <laughs> attitude. I mean, this becomes a whole nother host of things we have to learn, no? Yeah,
2: you know, I, I think it's important. I, um, I had mixed feelings about this article. On the one hand, I almost feel like this technology is it, going to be a little bit after the fact. If, uh, and the I understood it, there's panels or an app or something where you put in your mood. So let's say that they learn that there's a certain hallway that bums people out. Well, what can they do? Expand the hallway, knock down the walls? I mean, once it's built, it's built. Uh, It's a matter of of painting it a brighter color. But I I do like the whole thought of designing the buildings, not just for the function of the buildings, but for the people who are going to be in them. Um, When I was a kid, I was a summer intern at a hospital in Manhattan, and it was designed for the patients, and that's great. You know, the patients, bright, well-lit rooms, wide hallways, they feel very comfortable. The patients hopefully are only there for a couple of weeks. The people that work there are there for years, and where they worked was terrible. the uh, the, the lower floors we called it the dungeon. Dim, wet, dark, confusing. I would get lost, a maze, hard to get to where you want. It, it was almost as if the design of the building for the people who were going to be there all the time was just a complete afterthought. So I don't know whether this particular technology is going to solve the problem, but at least someone's thinking hey, let's design these buildings so that the people who are in them aren't aren't miserable.
0: Well, it's a fair point. I mean, you're asking a lot there, you know? Let's think (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, let's move on to our next story, which I have to pull up. My apologies. Uh, Where'd it go? Where'd it go? There it is. All right. It is from IEEE Spectrum Magazine. It is the ultrasonic signals transmit data through meat. Yes, meat at HD video quality. (laughs) And probably thought, why would I need to know what goes through my meat? Well, this is all about the bio... Well, maybe we touched on it. What, biohacking? The biological transmitters, or things used in medical surgery or diagnosis. Uh, it is about being able to send the radio signals through the tissue and bone without hurting one, the patient. That would be bad. Uh, but also so that you can get live streaming. They thought your your uh, Periscope and your live concerts were one thing. Now you can get live streaming from it going down your esophagus and through your intestines. Joy, right? Uh, but for those of us who do the medical world, this is a boon, I think. Uh, Omar, I'm going to start with you. You do some medical stuff I think we've talked about just prior to the show. Can you see implementing this technology along with, say, your ability to do distributed video for the for the – Hospital or for their network?
3: I, I would say yes. I mean, absolutely. You could capture whatever they're doing. You know, you could stream it, and then from there, send it anywhere. Um, but I do want to say it's a little bit of funny. Like my first impression when I first just read the title, I was like, well, instead of selling, you know, transmitter and receivers for HDMI, is now I sell them like two pieces of steak, and now we have high definition through through meat. That was, that was my first impression. But after reading the article, um, at first, as I, read in it, as I was reading it, and again, not capturing the, the concept, I was maybe thinking about wearables. But ultimately, once I read it, uh, I, to answer your original question, absolutely. If you could capture high-definition, clear crystal pictures, images, and you know, stream them into a system, you could send them anywhere. You could broadcast them. You could do whatever you want.
0: Yeah, I mean, David, do you deal with any of the uh, sort of medical field at all?
2: Uh, uh, actually, it's funny. We're having a telemedicine month on my my website at letsdovideo.com. So it's going to be trying to push as much uh, content as possible with the ATA conference coming up. Um, it's not the focus of, of what I do, but I am very interested in it. And, and I definitely think there's an application for it. And, and it's funny, my, my reaction was the same reaction Omar had. It was a very click title. The, the, the first thing they had, we're going to replace our IP cables with Slim Jims. But, um, but I, <laughs> I, I do think there's... And immediately I thought of an application. I have a friend who um, has a bad hip. And when he was a kid, he had to have it replaced. And the replacement hips, they have a life of 10 years. Every 10 years, he has to have surgery. And whether the, the, whether the old hip is bad or not they have to do surgery, take it out, and put in a new one. And these hips have 10,000 flexes in them. So what if there was a sensor in them that was counting the flexes, and if he, and when it comes to 10,000, through the meat of his body, they're able to transmit that data, and that way he only has to have it replaced when he needs it, as opposed to on a 10-year schedule whether he needs it or not. So there's definitely, the, despite the, the humor in the title, there's definitely some real uses that'll save some people a lot of pain.
0: Mm, indeed. Shai, so I'm going to ask you sort of the oddball question here of this one for an oddball article. Do you see uh, this technology extending out from, say, the medical biological? Do you see another use for this technology a, a, as it stands in that article?
1: You know, believe it or not, I think it might have something to. Do, so the only, the first thing that pops into my head is the last article we talked about. and right? We talked about putting those chips inside people. I certainly think those might be related to one another. Um, but I, so I actually had a different reaction to uh, when I initially opened the article than the other two gentlemen did. For, for me it was more like, why the heck would I need that? Right, that was the, that was the, first, the first... Who would ever do that? And then I, the more I sat there and thought about it and obviously read the article, I, so there's, there's two different parts to this that are becoming that will be really innovative to the medical industry, particularly telemedicine. Number one the need for less bandwidth to do video is constantly getting lower and lower and lower, right? Now this, the, the, the need for more bandwidth is becoming less on, on the actual ability to get inside a human body or any, any body for that matter. So those two parts coming together will eventually really be able to, to, to re, reform almost the, the telemedicine industry uh, and the abilities to get certain things done which i which I find fascinating um, I also find fascinating that the way uh, the way that 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 the medical field does this today um, it 's a very highly dangerous way uh, for for the body right and if you read the article, it talks about specifics i 'm not too concerned with the details, but the way, but the way that it has to penetrate because our body is is what eighty percent water whatever the number is
0: something like so, that yes.
1: So to get through not only the meat, but then all of the water and the salt within our bodies is really where the difficulty comes into place. And because we have to do that to get into the body, uh, the way that we trans, uh, that we uh, uh, send out data and, and signals is very, very dangerous. This can enable us to do more at less of a harmful rate. I think that will be the most staggering part about the about technology.
0: Very cool. Yeah, no, it's a very good point, and it's a very uh, it's a very interesting technology beyond its sort of bio-creepy factor that, <laughs> that they were sort of pushing. But All right, well, gentlemen, we have reached our limit of the show, and it's more stories to cover, and I would love to get your opinions. You guys have been fascinating. We'll definitely want to have you guys on again. So I want to thank you guys for being on. First off, David, tell them where they can find out more about you, and let's do video.
2: Sure, you could check us out at let's do video com. We're a vendor neutral site covering business communications, team productivity, obviously a focus on video. Please check us out and uh, sign up. We have a free newsletter in case you um miss anything.
0: Thanks so much. And Omar, where can they find out more about you and Digital OAV?
3: Well you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at digital oav. The website is www.digitaloav.com Um we're a small business, to so support small businesses and um you know, but we, we do gigantic projects, and we're very proud. And um, you know, we're
1: we're we're here to serve.
0: Very cool. Thank you for being on, and Shai, thank you very much for being on. Where can they find out more about you and your company?
1: Sure. Yeah. Well, me personally, you can always find me on LinkedIn. You got my first name and last name. <clears throat> uh, the website is communicationspros.com. You can also email me directly at shai s h a i at communicationspros.com. In case you don't know what we do. We are a video UC collaboration and AV consultancy. Uh, we don't sell hardware, we don't sell software, strictly professional services uh, and engineering resources.
0: Very cool. Thank you very much. And also, most importantly, thank you for watching. This has been a production of AV Nation. You can find shows like this and more. There's a Resi Week coming up very shortly on next Tuesday. We have shows on live staging, on education technology, on Pico Projection, and many, many more. You can find all that at AV Nation TV. And while you're there, please click on our underwriters page. These are the people who help make these shows possible. It'll be great. Go along and give them a thanks here and there. We really would appreciate it, and I'm sure they would, too. So, for all of my panelists and the people at AV Nation, I want to thank you very much for watching, and we will speak again very soon.
1: The network for the AV industry.
0: What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV AV Nation. Nation. This is AV Nation.